having an organ removed from our body, isn't it? Yeah. You guys have no idea how much you're going to be missed. What a blessing over the years we've had with them. Well, brothers and sisters, today we are going to participate in a graveside service and a resurrection. Let me read from Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ Jesus have been immersed into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through immersion into death. In order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Now, this is Paul's response to what he wrote about in chapter 5, in which he talked about his walk with Christ. He said, I really struggle because the things I would do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Uh, in my flesh, there's no good thing. But he thanked God for the grace of God. And he said, because I thank God for the grace of God, and that's such a blessing. Some might say, shall we sin more than grace may abound? And that's when God said, God forbid. And then went on with this passage that we just noted. This morning, we're going to witness visually exactly what the Apostle Paul described here. But we need to understand exactly why we do what we do. I don't know how much time you've spent looking at ancient versions of the scripture. I have from time to time. It's real interesting to see how the language is used. I have to think of the when I was in high school, we studied Chaucer's Canterbury Trails, Tales, which you remember was the story of a group of people that started on an exodus, and, and, and Chaucer began by explaining the time of year they were going to leave. One that operated the Shur de Sota, the Ruth of Marches, Pert the Rota, and Ballad of Advantage, Weasley Kuda, and its heir to engender the floor. I'm sure you all understood that. But what that says is, when the April showers start soaking the roots that under the drought of March were dying off, it brings forth flowers. <laughs> well, it's interesting as I've looked at the very, earth, very earliest rendition, renditions of the Bible into English from the Greek and Hebrew, it's real interesting to see some of the language that is used there. And it's interesting to me also that from the very first, 
instead of translating baptizo, they began to anglicize it into an English word. For instance, the Geneva Bible, by the way, that was the Bible that the pilgrims brought to America, colloquially called the Britches Bible, because in the book of Genesis, where it says when Adam and Eve sinned, they realized they were naked, God made them, uh, King James says, aprons out of skins of animals. This version says God made them britches. So that was colloquially called the Riches Bible. <laughs> but uh, when it gets to the word, Bob Tidzo, it spells it B-A-P-T-Y-Z. <laughs> you know, it just spells it. It's so interesting to see how languages like that. But that began the tradition for years with Wycliffe and Tyndall and the King James Version. Instead of translating, anglicizing. And so this morning, it is important that we realize exactly what God commanded. I've done quite a bit of research on this, and let me read you some statements from Roman Catholicism. Here's a document, the New Interpretation of the Mass, page 120. Baptism took place by immersion in ancient times. The early 1900s, there's a, a book I uh, had a copy of. I downloaded it, 600 pages long. It's a book in which Protestants asked questions and the Catholic hierarchy responded to it. Here's the one about baptism. Catholics admit that the immersion brings out more fully the meaning of the sacrament and that for 12 centuries, it was the common practice. And here's uh, the adult catechism, page 56 and 57. Baptism used to be given by placing the person to be baptized completely in the water. It was done this way in the Catholic Church for 1,200 years. Here's one from Our Faith and Facts, a Catholic document, page 399. The church at one time practiced immersion. It was up until the 13th century. The Council of Ravenna in 1311 changed the form from immersion to pouring. And you know, this one really tops the cake. This is the new Catholic edition of the Bible. The entrepreneur on it is Cardinal Spellman, who was one of the most esteemed Catholic prelates of America, Francis Cardinal Spellman of New York. Here's its footnote on Romans chapter 6. This is the footnote at the bottom of the page of Romans 6. St. Paul alludes to the manner in which baptism was ordinarily conferred in the primitive church, immersion. The descent of the water into the water is suggestive of the descent of the body into the grave. The ascent is suggested of the resurrection to a new life. St. Paul obviously sees more than a mere symbol in the rite of baptism. As a result of it, we're incorporated into Christ's mystical body and to live a new life. I don't think anyone who is honest can question that God commanded immersion. Jesus did when he said, repent 
going to make disciples of all the nations, the great virgin Mathetes, disciple, immersing them in the name of the Father, Son, into the name, pardon me, Ice Epsilon, Delta Sigma, immersing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them, Didasco, to do whatever I have commanded you. But Bob Tidzo, Bob Tidzo, every reputable lexicon, Thayer, Little and Scott, you know, all of them will say the meaning of this word is to dip, to plunge, or to immerse. Now, there are two or three times in the Bible when the world, when the word is used in the sense of cleansing, like washing your hands. Now, today, when we wash our hands, we turn on a faucet, don't we? <laughs> But I'm telling you what, I've been to my grandparents' farm where they had no indoor plumbing and they had no electricity. How'd you wash your hands? You went out to the well and drew out a bucket of water, poured it in a wash basin, you immersed your hands and washed them. And that's the sense, of course, in which it's always used in Scripture referring to immersion. In the Acts class we recently taught, we gave as an appendix a document in which Aristobulus a young man who had just been made the high priest. Herod didn't like him. He thought he was ambitious. And so at Herod's palace, one summer when it was very hot, his servants were jumped in a pool of water, and they were frolicking and cooling off, and Aristobulus was there, and he encouraged Aristobulus to get in and play too. He did. And Herod's servants baptized him and baptized him and baptized him until he was drowned. <laughs> they weren't just pouring water or sprinkling they're immersing very, very clearly the initial command of God is to immerse. Now, it is not my place today to criticize those who, instead of following the command of Christ, decide to have people pray the sinner's prayer. There's one radio station I like because it's constantly playing gospel songs. But every now and then the announcement will come on and say, if you would die today, would you go to heaven? Are you sure? If not, then pray with me and praise this sinner prayer. Now, brother and sister, you're bound to heaven. Land of Goshen, I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. Some point to Romans 10, which says, if your heart, man, believe in the righteous, mouth confessions made to salvation, if you believe in your heart and confess your mouth, you will be saved. But four chapters before, he had written one of the strongest passages in all of God's word concerning immersion. And you look at that section in Romans, and here's what it's talking about. There was a dispute that arose. Can Gentiles be in the church as much as Jews? And what Paul is saying, whoever, Chickasaw, Choctaw, Seminole, Cherokee, Queek, Russian, Ukrainian, Kenyan, Nairobian, Brazilian, and thanks be to God, German and Irish. <laughs> Makes no difference. Whoever will come with that faith, heaven's doors are waiting for you. But it does not say that's all. There is always more every time, and that more is to be immersed into Jesus Christ and then to live the faithful life. You know, there was a situation in New Testament times different from ours. Because when they preached, they were preaching 
usually to adults. There were no Christian families in which children grew up. Today we have Christian families in which our children grow up. So at what point should they be immersed? You know, it says if you believe, you may. <laughs> well, that's a challenge, isn't it? I, my own view is, and this is my personal view, the age of accountability. Now, when is that? Well, under Jewish teaching, it's 12 years old. And with my boys, even though they express interest, I felt they didn't really understand it till they were around 12 years of age. So all four of them were immersed into Christ around 12. Now, Diana was far more spiritually advanced, and she was immersed into Christ, I think, at seven. So it varies from child to child. And it should not be just the parents say, you know, you need to go get baptized. But it's something that by hearing the teaching and the influence of the home, the child comes to realize I'm a sinner damned to hell unless I get right with God. And this is the apex of all the steps to be taken. Now, my brother and sister, it is not my place to criticize those who sprinkle it is not my place to criticize those who have people say the sinner's prayer. That's between them and God. But I personally can do no other than exactly that which God has commanded. The undergirding and overriding message of the Old Testament is this. God is God, and God expects to be treated as God. Real interesting. Several episodes illustrate that. You remember, for instance, when the Israelites were complaining, you brought us out here, we don't have any water. God said, okay, Moses, go take your stick, speak over that rock, and water will come forth. Moses went over and struck the rock, we'll bring you water. God said, you didn't do it the way I said, therefore you can't go into the promised land because he didn't do it the way God said. And one of the most striking is Nadab and Abihu. Now, the Lord said that whenever the sacrificial offering is burnt on the altar, the priest should take a fire pan and put some of the coals in a sweet incense and offer that as a sweet-smelling savor to God. And he gave, of course, the formula. Nadab and Abihu, two of Aaron's sons, God one occasion came down from heaven. The fire devoured the, the offering, and they took their fire pans and offered what Leviticus says, strange fire, and God struck them dead because they did not use the fire he said to use. That puts fear in my heart about doing anything other than precisely what God said. And so when the Lord commanded immersion, Jim Garrett is not bold enough to stand before God and say, I know what you said, but I have a better idea. It's more beautiful. It's a lot easier, and I get people to do it. Again, those who choose to do that, it's between them and God, not between me and God. But I just cannot do that. I stand in holy fear of the Lord when I ponder doing such a thing. Some people view baptism as a sacrament. In other words, there's some kind of power in the water itself 
that does something. Let me tell you several stories, real stories, as far as I'm concerned, belie that. First time I ever immersed anybody into Christ was the spring of uh, 1953. I'd just become the minister of this little country church about 40 miles outside of Cincinnati. And when I gave the invitation on a Sunday morning, two women and a man came forth. And they confessed their faith in Jesus. And it was a sleet storm, but we still need to immerse them. And so we went out in the midst of that fleet storm to Big Indian Creek, <laughs> flows through Claremont County and enters into the Ohio River near Point Pleasant. That two women and the man and I stood in that chilly water with church members on the bank with hail falling, not hail, sleet falling, <laughs> and immerse them into Christ. Those are the first ones. For many years, I taught every summer at Sunset Bible Camp, which was at Greenleaf State Park. Now they own property over near Manford. After World War II, the state of Oklahoma moved all the army barracks from Camp Gruber, which is nearby, onto Greenleaf Lake Campsite. And so we had church camp dormitories for everybody. For, I think, 28 years, if I'm not mistaken, I taught every summer in that church camp. Weekly, we immersed people into Christ in Greenleaf Lake. And I can remember, usually seen me at night, one time immersing people in Christ, water moccasins swimming by. You know, when... Saul of Tarsus came to Christ. Ananias came to him and said, Why are you tearing? Arise and be immersed, washing away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. So if in immersion our sins are washed away, I wonder were the sins being washed off those sinners into that lake, scaring the daylights out of water moccasins, and they were fleeing? Hmm, something to think about. <laughs> Dave Troutman tells me that when he and Beth were missionaries to China, they immersed converts in their bathtub because they could do that without getting in trouble. <laughs> and uh, last week, talking about it, he said one woman they immersed left and went on to Bible college in England and used his language, married a Brit. So, creeks, lakes, bathtubs. When TCF first started meeting in Overwrite Junior High, it was a regular event almost every week to immerse people into Christ in the swimming pool. Now, Willard Hudson, who worked for the Tulsa World, was interviewed by Beth Macklin one time, interviewed about that, and, and, and Willard said, you know, we're the only church in the world that has to have a lifeguard when we immerse people. <laughs> and that's because the rule said if you use a screw pool you have to have a lifeguard and it was kind of needed one time you know Chuck Farah one of the dearest men I've ever known I'm here because of Chuck he's the man who actually brought me here but um, he and Bill and I were triumphant at one time but Chuck had been as you know a very highly respected PhD Presbyterian minister educated in Scotland but when he became associated with TCF, 
he began to ponder and he studied and realized that the biblical form of baptism was always immersion. And so he asked to be immersed as he was. Then he said one day, I want to immerse somebody. He'd never done it before. Nobody had ever taught him. So he put on the waders, walked into the swimming pool. And instead of doing this, he did this. And water poured into those waders. And he had to be rescued. (laughs) Time for a lifeguard. (laughs) When I first came to Bel Air Christian Church in... Let's see, that must have been 1959, I believe, yes. The church was brand new, and they had asked me to come from Ohio and lead this new church that had just been started in South Tulsa. Actually, 58th and Rockford was out of the city limits in. City limits is 56th Street. And uh, they had just built the first concrete block building, had uh, two restrooms, a kitchen, and uh, a fellowship, well, actually, it's an auditorium about the size of a TCF fellowship hall, no baptistry. After I was there for a while, we had some deacons put in a baptistry, and what they did, they went out and bought a galvanized horse watering trough and put that in. And so I immersed people in a horse watering trough for a while. But later, after we built that very beautiful chapel, had this wonderful fiberglass baptistry. One of my chores every Saturday was to go and get it ready so I could immerse people on Sunday who responded to the invitation. After a while then, TCF, as we became sister churches and working together and everything, TCF started using that baptistry instead of a swimming pool. My, my, what experiences we had then. Every... We opened our building to TCF, and every weekday event TCF had was had in our building. By the way, I first met Ed and Nancy at one of those events. I don't know what it was, but we were in the kitchen cleaning up together after a dinner of some kind, and that's how we first met. One night around 10 o'clock, I got a phone call from a man who was a member of TCF, Jim my wife has just accepted Jesus. Could you baptize her? So I put my clothes on, drove over to Bel Air around 11 o'clock at night. I immersed this man's wife into Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. The point I want to make is this morning I can tell you about people who were immersed in a creek and their lives were changed forever. I can tell you about people who were immersed in a lake and their lives were changed forever. Dave can tell you about people who were immersed in a bathtub and their lives were changed forever. Many of you here were in those here in those days could tell you about being immersed in a swimming pool and lives were changed forever. And I can tell you about baptizing people in a horse trough and a baptistry like this one. It's not quite as good as this one. This is the first baptistry I ever heard of. It has a circulating pump with a heater for the water. A bunch of wimps, but... But the transformed lives I have seen as the Holy Spirit comes to inhabit, I cannot deny it happened. Someday I will walk the streets of heaven with these 
whose immersions I've had the privilege of participating in now since 1953. <laughs> I'll tell you, there's nobody in the world God's ever been blessed more than I. I am the most blessed human being alive. And part of it has been those kind of experiences. What are the prerequisites for immersion? Well, Scripture is rather clear. First of all, on the day of Pentecost, you remember, as the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, and there was the fire looked like tongues of fire on their head, and they began to speak in languages none of them knew, but they were heard by 14 different cultures in their own language. How can these ignorant Galileans be speaking our language? And Peter said, this is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel, and he began to go on. And then he concluded by saying, And you have taken by wicked and godless hands and crucified, crucified this prophesied Son of God. Horror, they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent. Now the word there is metanoeo, which means to have a different attitude, a different thinking, a different perception of who this Jesus is. It's more than just sorrow. The Greek word for sorrow is metamelomai. Judas metamelomied and went out and hung himself. One of the epistles in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes about different kinds of sorrow. He said there's sorrow of the world that leads to death. But there's a godly sorrow that leads to metanoeo. To repentance. Repentance. A changed mind about who Jesus is. That's the first requirement. And being willing to declare that with all your heart you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you do accept Him as your Lord and Savior. From that time on, it is He who will rule your life. Remember in the Philippian jailer thinking that the prisoners had escaped because of this earthquake and Saul cried out, do thyself no harm, we're all here. Stopped him from committing suicide. He let him out. He had heard their preaching. He no doubt knew about Lydia and her whole household being immersed into Christ. He said, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved in all your house. And he gave the good confession. And then they preached to the whole household and immersed all of them that same hour of the night. So belief and repentance, which is similar to belief, but even more. More than, and so it's more than just a sacrament. For instance, on the cover of your bulletin today, you have that quote from Peter. And it talks about in the days of Noah, how there was a great flood and how everybody was destroyed except the eight souls in the ark. And it says the same figure where immersion shall now save you. And then it says, not putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. One way the Greek can be understood there is the pursuit of a good conscience. In other words, it's of the heart. It's not an external act. There's no miracle in this water. 
It's what happens in the heart. So, my dear brother, my dear sister, what are the requirements? The requirements are believing with all your heart, which in essence is a form of repentance, realizing that you're damned to hell, but there's a way to heaven, and that's through the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross, which you access through your faith, your confession, and ultimately bearing the old person and raised to walk in newness of life. One other thing about Roman Catholicism and immersion. In 250 A.D., there was a man, his Latin name is Novatius. Latin V is always a W. We anglicize it as Nestorius. Nestorius became quite ill on the verge of death. And he made a confession, and, and they said, well, we, he's too sick. We can't take him down to a pond or somewhere and immerse him. And so they did what they'd already begun briefly at that time called effusion. They poured, brought in buckets of water and just poured, tried to bury him that way. Nestorian didn't die. <laughs> he got well. Became such a devout man, he approached one of the bishops and said, I'd like to be a priest. And the priest and the bishop ordained him, and this called an uproar in the church. What are you doing ordaining that man? He's never been immersed. We just poured all that water on him. <laughs> he also became very legalistic and narrow, didn't want to readmit the lapsi into the church. The lapsi were those who, during the time of persecution, had offered a sacrifice to the emperor, and now repent, received back in the church. He said, no, he's a very rigid guy. Finally, he broke away and formed his own denomination called the Catharoi, which means the Puritans. <laughs> but all the uproar in the church, because this man had not been immersed. There's just little doubt about what God had commanded. And then that wonderful promise. If you do this, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Scripture describes the Christian's body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are two Greek words for temple, hieron. Hieron refers to the building itself. But there's that very inner sacred room where it was the Holy of Holies. The only, no one would dare go in there, the high priest, and he only once a year with the atonement blood, and then he got out as quick as he could. The name of that room is the naos. That's the word that is used every time in Scripture to describe our bodies as a temple of the Holy Spirit. My body is a naos. It is sacred. And as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, don't you dare use that for evil means. It is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Staggering thought, isn't it? That this 92-year-old, not very attractive, but slightly belly-filled body is a naos. A naos. You remember one time as Paul and his companions encountered a group of people? Paul just sensed something was wrong with them. They were disciples but something was wrong and he said did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first 
Lead? Well, we never heard of the Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? Well, then, what baptism did you have? He said, they had John's. Ah. So then he went ahead and preached Christian immersion to them, and they immersed him into Christ. Now, twice in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit was imparted by a laying on of hands, and that both times it was because there was an evidentiary reason for doing so. But these received, the, Paul's assumption was if you'd been immersed, you had the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to have a, something you can't put into words. We're going to be by a graveside and watch a burial. But we're also going to witness a glorious resurrection and a little girl's body of all things becoming a naos, a sacred temple of the Holy Spirit. Oh, praise be to God that he has not left us wandering on our imperfections. Oh, <laughs> we'd all be lost. But his wonderful grace and the atonement made on the cross and that means he has said anybody can do it. Just come. Come in faith. Come repentance, be immersed into Christ, and receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. Joel.